Welcome to those who are joining us today in the Fellowship Hall and online. It's good to be able to study the Word of God together. And today, as we continue with our Ancient Roots series, looking at the Apostles' Creed, we're also starting a new season of our church year. Today is the first day of Advent. And Advent is a word that means the dawning, the beginning. The first whispers of change are in the air. And it kind of reminds me of the song from West Side Story. The air is humming, and something great is coming. It's anticipation, wonder. You see, Advent isn't just about remembering when Jesus was born. It's also a time to remember that Jesus is coming back. That on the cross, Jesus put sin and death to death. And in his resurrection, Jesus brought in a new reality. He opened the way for us to be restored in a relationship with God that can't even be ended by death. That because of Jesus, this is the first day of a relationship with God that will last forever. In Advent, we remember the dawning of this new covenant of relationship with God in Jesus. And we remember that what God started for us in Jesus, he will finish. That's so good to remember that, that God will finish what he started for us. Because right now, we're somewhere in the middle of the story, right? Where the plot lines seem to move up and down a whole lot. But in his mercy, God's already shown us how it comes out in the end. That Jesus wins. Grace wins. God's love wins over the brokenness of this world. So in Advent, we see in Jesus that God comes to us in humble beginnings because that's where he connects with us. Because that's what love does. It stoops low. But his love isn't just humble, it's also powerful. And when he comes again, he will come in power as king. And nothing will ever be able to snatch you out of his hand. For no word from the Lord will ever fail. That's why this season of Advent is so full of wonder and hope. Because it comes from holding those two truths at once. That God works in this world through humble beginnings and ordinary people. And that his power at work in the ordinary brings the ordinary into an extraordinary promise. So this phrase that we're unpacking from the Apostles' Creed today speaks to both of those realities. To God's power and his choice to work through humble beginnings. So if this is part of your own confession of faith, I'd like to invite you to please join me in speaking these words from the Creed out loud together. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now that phrase answers the question how God's Son came to be a human being on earth, but it doesn't answer the question why. Why was Jesus born as a human being to a virgin named Mary? What is God communicating to us here about who he is and about who we are to him? Because God certainly could have sent his son just fully God to earth. But instead, he chose to have Jesus enter into the world born of the Holy Spirit's power and a human mother, fully God and fully human. So what's that all about? What message is God sending in choosing this way to redeem us? I think what God is showing us is that humanity, that being human, is worth redeeming. If being human was bad, if there was anything wrong about being human, God's Son wouldn't be in it. Jesus was born into our reality to show us God's intention for being a human being is a good thing. 
When God created human beings in Genesis, he didn't just call us good, he called us very good. And he created us male and female as reflections of God's very being. From the very beginning, he created us so that we'd have to be in community with each other to reflect the fullness of his image. So in this, the fact that Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary is actually important, not as some preachers have mistakenly assumed because there's anything unholy about the marriage bed, but because it's important that we know that Jesus is very intentionally meant to be both fully God and fully human because his purpose is redeeming humanity from the inside out. So if this is what Jesus came to do and to be for us, where does Mary come in? What does Mary's involvement tell us about how God wants to be in relationship with us? When I was in college, I was on a a ministry team that went out on the weekends from college to lead worship at different churches in Minnesota and North Dakota. And then a few years later, I was on a youth encounter ministry team for a year, traveling all over the eastern United States and West Africa, leading worship in churches. So I have literally seen hundreds of Lutheran church sanctuaries. And in most of my experiences, especially over those little altars and the little country churches, what I found were images of Jesus doing the work of his ministry. Jesus preaching, Jesus teaching, Jesus healing, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus the good shepherd, Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus at the last supper, Jesus rising from the tomb. So you might understand why I found it strange that when I went on my sabbatical, I could count on one hand the number of times I saw any of those images in the cathedrals of Italy. But what I did see was Jesus on the cross and Jesus a baby and a lot of Mary. The angel telling Mary of this birth, from the story from our text today, Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, Mary with the baby Jesus in the stable, Mary bringing Jesus to be consecrated at the temple, Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt, even the marriage of Joseph and Mary all over the cathedrals. I was amazed to see more stories about Mary's life than of Jesus' life. That kind of confused me at first. Until I started to realize that for those medieval Christians, they saw Mary as the approachable entry point into the story of what God was doing for the world in Jesus. I think that on some level, Mary became important to them because they could see this invitation that God gave to her to be part of his story as a foreshadowing of the invitation that we are given into his story. In some way, Mary is our representative of flawed but faithful humanity wanting to be in relationship with a holy God through the only way that's possible, by responding to his invitation in obedient faith. And some theologies, in my opinion, of course, miss the point of that. They figure that Mary must have been invited into this story because she was actually better than the rest of us flawed human beings, or even that she was somehow without sin. But I have to tell you, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. Because how does a story about a holy God and a sinless girl have anything to do with us? (laughs) I think the whole point of what God was doing here was in the fact that Mary is a normal, sinful as anyone else, filled with faith but sometimes doubting woman. I think this story is about an ordinary human and an extraordinary God because that's where the hope is for us. That's where the wonder comes in. Because God wants to draw us back into the story of his love forever through his 
power alone, and he wants to do that through working his power through humble vessels like us. And the reason I am able to be confident about that is because God always seems to do this kind of thing. God has always used broken, flawed human beings to be vessels of his power and works in the world, not because they were extraordinary, but because he is. You remember the story of Gideon? He was going to go take on the enemy with his army, and God told him, nope, your army is too big. You got to get rid of the guys in your army who drink normally and just keep the ones that lap up water with their tongues like dogs. Probably not the best and brightest of the crew, I'm guessing. Go with that little army instead. And with that army, God brought them a glorifying victory. Or Moses, there's an army of Egyptians behind you and you've got nothing. Come to the edge of the water, raise up your staff in faith, and those waves are going to stand on end. I'll make the way through the water for you to walk. And they did to a God-glorifying victory. And the king that God chose for his people wasn't the oldest or most accomplished son of Jesse, but the youngest one, the one who was out working with the sheep in the field, David, whose greatest merit was simply his desire to know more of God. See, that's how God always seems to work in the world. He uses the humble beginnings to show the power of his glory, to redeem and empower and renew And since our fall into sin as human beings, the story between God and humans has become one where sinful humanity cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Where sinful humanity meets a holy God, the result is death. The wages of sin is death. But now in Jesus, God is rewriting the story to read like this. Where sinful humanity meets a holy God, the result, beginning with and through Jesus, is holy humanity. So if you think about Mary's part in that equation, it becomes pretty obvious that Mary can't be without sin because she represents us in that equation. That in misusing our freedom, human beings have been separated from God by sin. But with the incarnation, the coming in the flesh of God's Son, Jesus, the possibility of a new story has begun, fulfilled in Jesus' mission through the cross, that through Jesus, where sinful humanity meets a holy God, the result will no longer be death, but holy humanity. So how does that happen? Because in the way that our world works, that math just doesn't make sense. Because in the way that our world works, when something dirty meets something clean, they both end up dirty, right? In the Old Testament, we see that. There were things that made a person unclean, and that uncleanness was catchy. People were not to touch lepers or anyone who had died because they'd become unclean too. And I really do think those Old Testament laws were meant to protect God's people before anybody understood what germs were, how disease spread. Those who were unclean had to go to a cleansing ritual before they could go back into community life because uncleanness was catchy. You see, throughout our fallen human history, dirty has always been more powerful than clean until Jesus. When Jesus touched the leper, the leper didn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus made the leper clean. In Jesus, healing was stronger than sickness. When Jesus reached out to the dead, the life in him was stronger than the death in them. The clean of Jesus is stronger than the world's dirty. And what he touches becomes redeemed. What was broken becomes restored. Because that's what Jesus came to do. 
I go even farther to say that's who Jesus is. He is the restoration of humanity. He is the restorer of the broken. He is the recreating, healing, renewing power of God in the human flesh for the purpose of restoring human beings like us back into the family and the favor of God. Why was Jesus born into the flesh fully God and fully human? To redeem what's good about being human and to restore us into the kind of relationship God wants us to have with him where our sin doesn't keep us from God, but where we allow his clean into our dirty and let the light overpower it and drive out the darkness. Jesus becomes a human being to redeem human beings, and he comes as holy God so he can reconnect us to holy God, born of the Holy Spirit who first breathed life into the world, and of the human race that God wanted to restore. There's a story told by a missionary about two warring tribes. Their country had been rocked by war for decades until the two chiefs decided to meet. There had been way too much bloodshed. The price was too high to continue in this way. But how would they ever be able to start over again with so little trust between them? As the two tribes met, they watched their chiefs talk in private conversation until finally one chief walked over to his wife and took his newly born son out of her arms. And then in three long strides, he placed his son into the arms of the rival chief. In shock and surprise, the chief's wife let out a wail that was echoed by the whole tribe. That son was going to be the next chief of their own tribe. That son was their future. How could he be given away? The rival tribe watched in that grief that was happening in silence, and then they turned to go. This son would be raised as a member of the rival tribe. He would be the adopted son of the rival chief and would one day be given leadership in their own tribe. As long as he lived, there would be peace between these two tribes because through him, Former enemies were now united as family. They called him the peace child. God sent his son, Jesus, into humanity that had been at war with him through sin to be the peace child for us. Jesus makes us family. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And knowing that, he did that for you. Do you hear this prophecy from Isaiah a little differently today? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As long as the peace child lives, there will be peace between us and God. And of his reign, there will be no end. And God chose to do that for you and for me, to redeem us from the inside out because he loved us too much to let us go. 
because that's what love does. It stoops low to lift others up. And we see in wanting to restore us in love, God sought out Mary's response. Would she take part in this world-changing story of God's love? Would she dare to trust him to play the role that God had asked her to play? This is how God works in the world. He wants to do big things through his love and humble beginnings in people like you and me who will simply allow God to be God in us. So how do we respond to that? I think for that we have to look back at Mary as the representative of flawed but trying to be faithful people. And in this text I see four different responses that we can imitate to God's power and promise to us. In Luke 1, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So the first response that shows us is that we are to dare to trust the promise of God's love and favor is yours in Jesus. Do you ever question that God's love is actually for you? I love in this story that Mary's response, when the angel tells her that she is highly favored by God, her response is to be troubled. Who, me? Why? The angel has to assure her, no, really, I'm serious. God is pleased with you, Mary. The love and favor of God for her is a wonder to Mary, probably because she knows her own heart, just like I know mine and you know yours. And the God who knows us too chooses to approach us in love. And by the end of this conversation, Mary embraces that grace with joy. Our first response to God's promise, dare to trust that God's love and favor is yours in Jesus. And we do that because of who he is in grace toward you and me. Then the angel tells Mary she's going to be the mother of the Messiah of God, and she immediately reacts with a question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So the second response to God's promise is to ask questions, both in community and in prayer. And I think this is a beautiful thing because it's a pretty startling thing that Mary's being invited into and she has questions. And you notice when she asks those questions, the angel answers. And he even gives her some information she couldn't even know to ask, that her relative Elizabeth is going to be someone that she can go to talk to about this miraculous thing that God is doing in her. She's given the gift of community, a community of support where she can wrestle with her questions in a safe place. So what do we learn from this? Don't ever be afraid to ask your questions to God and to others in community because God wants to give us more than we'd even know to ask. And after all this, then the angel reminds her who is issuing the promise. In verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. Which creates our third response to God, which is to remember that he keeps his promises. What God speaks will be. He can be trusted to do what he'll say, he says that he'll do. So when he says that Jesus came to save you, to redeem you, he does. Which leads to peace and our fourth response, to surrender, to lean into God's will. 
In verse 38, Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So if you know what God is calling you to do, do it. Trust God with the rest. You see, God works in this world through humble beginnings, but he's a God of power. And where it all begins is simply in our willingness to trust God to be God for us and in our lives through Jesus Christ. God chooses to work in the world through humble beginnings so we can see that the ways that he works in us and learning to trust him in the little things, we might come to trust his good heart for us and for the world. So this Advent, as you're preparing to celebrate Jesus coming into the world in these humble ways, I want you also to remember that God wants to be at work in you. Are there ways that he's calling you humbly, quietly to reach out and bless this world in his love too? The God who chose to invite Mary into the story of our world's salvation did so so that you too can know that you're invited into this family, into this story. Through Jesus, where sinful humanity meets a holy God, what results is holy humanity. On the cross, he took all of our sin that separated us from God and died with it so he could rise to share with you his free gift of grace. Where the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So will you trust him at his word? To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Lord God, today we are in awe of your power and of your willingness to work in humble ways in our lives and in this world. So Lord, today like Mary, we pray that we might be in wonder of your love for us, that we might open our hearts to respond to what you want to do through us by the power of your Holy Spirit to show the world who you are through Jesus' love. We pray, Lord, that you would use our words and our deeds and our love to tell your story this season. We pray Mary's prayer might be ours. Lord, I am your servant. May your will be done in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.